Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Sunday school after a week off. So, hope you slept in or did something productive. Uh, but we're back today, and we're going to start with our scripture memory passage review. We got Ephesians 4, uh, 11, 12, and thirteen. And there's the faithful Dave Barber with his clicker ready. So, if you know those verses, you had two weeks now. Yeah, two weeks. So. Oh. No judgments here. All right, Miss Amy, you got it? Awesome. The first two. The first two, okay. And he himself gave some to be apostles, yep. some prophets, yep. some evangelists, yep. some pastors and teachers. Yes, very good. For the equipping of the saints, yep. for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of God. Very good. Excellent. Nice job. Well done. Two down. Yes, sir. Oh, ladies first? Yes. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints yes. for the work of the ministry. Yes. For the building up of the body of Christ. Yes. To attain the unity of the faith. Yes. This is the one that I get mixed up on. And the knowledge of the Son of God. Good. To the measure, to the mature, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Nice job. Pulled through. Well done. Cool. I feel like we should applaud if that. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to persevere, right? It's awesome. All right, Chris. Uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles yes. and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Yes. To the, um, <laughs> to the equipping of the yep. saints for the work of the ministry and the edification of the body of yes. Christ. So that we attain unity of the faith and yes. knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect person, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Nice job. Awesome. Well done. He cool. Started he started Friday? Gee whiz. That's a lot of that's a lot of ordered lists to start on Friday, but that's all right. This is good. So uh, today is week two of our Doctrine of the Church. So last week, um, actually not last week, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, several different components of church. So we looked at the definition of what makes a church, and we kind of settled on believers that are gathering to hear the gospel preached and practicing the ordinances. Uh, and if, if you have those things on a regular basis, then that's what looks like a church. Uh, we looked at metaphors for the church. and had, had you guys look these up in your scriptures. We talked about family. We talked about buildings. We talked about trees, crops, bodies. 
um, looked at true and false churches. And, and this is, this is we're going to spend a lot of time today kind of referencing back to this idea. Uh, and the example that I used last week was about water. So I had four cups of water. Uh, and if you remember this, uh, awesome. If you don't, then uh, here's a picture of it. So we talked about uh, purity would be a clean glass of drinking water, nothing in the water. You can drink this, no issues whatsoever. Uh, got a little bit of, of dirt in this water. I actually had Justin go out before Sunday school started, and I don't know where you got it, but I said, go get me some dirt. And he came back in with a cup of dirt. So put some dirt in the cup. This is uh, sludge, uh, probably 75% dirt, 25% water. And then over here, clean water with uh, something special in it. So anybody remember what this was? This is rat poison, yes. So the idea here being that you have a perfectly pure, healthy church, which this does not exist. So if you're looking for this, stop looking. Uh, you have a church with some dirt, and the reason we have dirt is because we're dirty people, and that's what makes churches. Uh, and all the way down to you have something that sometimes can look clean, sometimes it looks really dirty, but this would be a group. Uh, Greedham would call them a false church. I would call them a group. Uh, that is not preaching the gospel, that is preaching something other than the gospel, and this will damn your soul to hell, uh, which is why I used rat poison, because it will kill you, eternally kill you, not just like you're dead here and we have we put you in the ground. This is eternal damnation, very, very bad. So uh, this to me, Grudem doesn't use this physical example. He just has it on a, a timeline, uh, but I think this is pretty graphic. So we looked at uh, where you can be, uh, where churches can be. And the reality is you can have pagans that go to churches that are pretty decently healthy. Uh, and you can have Christians that go to false churches. So th there's gobs and gobs and gobs of combinations of how this stuff uh, can fit together. Uh, we also looked at the purposes of the church. Uh, Grudem has three categories of purposes, but I'm going to leave this up because I'm going to be making references to it a lot today. Uh, Grudem has three references uh, or three categories of purposes, and they all map to the WIFES that we use here. Uh, but the key is to have balance at the church level, not necessarily at the individual level. So we're not saying that every individual member in a church has to have all of these purposes equally lived out in their lives in equal proportion. So she's going to get you unless you get over here. So, <laughs> like, there's this awkward tension, and I'll just address it. <laughs> All right, there you go. Good, good call. <laughs> I'll try to remember to take that off the podcast. I rarely do, but it's... Um, I, I got an email a couple months ago from somebody uh, who listens from a distance who used to be a member here at Stewart Heights, and uh, she and her family moved, and she sent me a note, and she said, you know that you say a lot of times you're going to take something off the podcast, and you, you don't. And it's like, oh, okay, well, try to do better at that. Uh, but today we're going to look at more fully what the, this concept of the purity and the unity of the church, which are two things that we should be uh, very passionate about. So if you look at your handout, uh, big point A on your handout. You see big point A on your handout? Nope. No, because we really kind of talked about that last week. Uh, Grudem, uh, his A is more pure and less pure churches. So that's his phrase for this doesn't really exist, this ultra pure everything's perfect. And he wouldn't call this a church because they're not actually preaching the gospel. They're preaching something other than the gospel. So what we're talking about today is everything in between the clean and the poison. So there, this is more pure, less pure. It's a spectrum here. Uh, and, and what that looks like and how this actually exists and what it what does and what does not exist. So let's look at uh, some definitions in B. Uh, so your first blank, the purity of the church is its degree of freedom from wrong doctrine and conduct. So 
So if you're looking at the pictures of the cups, it's do we have some mechanism of a filter to keep junk out, right? So bad stuff's not getting in. And then the second part is, and its degree of conformity to God's revealed will for the church. So that's wonderful if we have great doctrine, but what are we doing with it? Do we put a lid on it and keep it here and not do anything with it? Or are we applying that and using it in some mechanism? So it's the, the what's coming in and the what's going out part of it. And I, I really like that definition. So it's avoiding the bad and doing the good that we're commanded to do. Uh, the second blank there is the unity of the church is its degree of freedom from divisions among true Christians. Degree of freedom from divisions among true Christians. And, and, you know, I think it makes pretty good sense that we should strive to have both purity and unity. This is something that we're commanded to be righteous and holy, and we're commanded to be one. Feels like this is pretty straightforward stuff. Um, and Grudem talks for a bit about uh, global unity of all churches. And, and sometimes if you think about this concept a little bit, you can go, well, why can't we just all, like just all churches across the whole world just come together and be one? And it, my problem with that is that there's a bunch of churches that are here, right? That are not preaching the gospel. And I, I am not called to unify with somebody that is preaching poison. So, so the idea of unity in the body of Christ, this is not the body of Christ. Okay, So be careful how we say we have these grand visions for, now I would love for the entire world to be evangelized and everybody to be engaged and active in a church and we could all be as close to this. I mean, this would be wonderful, but this is not reality. This, this exists. So global unity of all church, all organizations that call themselves churches is just not going to happen. And Complete purity of all churches is not going to happen because raise your hand if you're a sinner, right? Excellent. It's 47% of sinners in my class. That's great. Um, but the reality is, even though we are sinners and even though there are false churches, we are still commanded to be unified and to be pure. So this is, this is the goal that we've got, striving toward this goal. So point C, Grudem talks about signs of a more pure church, right? So... If we are doing these things, it, it tends to lean this direction. So we'll just run down through these. Uh, and, and I thought a lot about these uh, the last couple of weeks. And uh, it, has, it has actually started to change the way in which I pray for our church and the church in general. Because these are great things to pray for your church. You're like, well, you hear, well, pray for your church. Well, dear God, help my church. What's, what comes after that, right? Well, that we have right doctrine and right preaching, that we have proper use of the ordinances, that we have proper use of church discipline, that we have real genuine worship, that we are effectively praying together as we should, that we're effectively witnessing together, that we're effectively fellowshipping, that we have the right church governance in place with the right uh, uh, both qualified and uh, executing their qualification well, leadership, that we have spiritual power in this ministry. It's not just a bunch of individuals working on their own, but we're working through the power of the Holy Spirit. That there's holiness among the life of the members, right? I mean, that's a... There's one we don't like to talk about. It's just, be ye holy. It still counts. Uh, that there's care for the poor, and that there's love for Christ. And I, I don't know if I put it on your list or not, but this is... Yeah, I didn't. Uh, this is not a prioritized all-inclusive list, 
right? This is just, Grudem got tired of listing things because there's a lot of stuff that we are called to be and to do as the church, uh, but this is not prioritized. So if it, if it irks you like it kind of irked to me the first time I read this list that love for Christ is number 12, anybody see that and went, why is love for Jesus number 12? That was my first reaction because... Um, I go to legalism very, very quickly. And then uh, and he, he then followed up with, this is not an ordered list. So that was nice. And it's also not a comprehensive listing of all the scriptures for each of these items. There could be dozens of passages for some of these that talk about what these are and how they're fleshed out. Uh, but I will give you one, and I didn't highlight it. Revelation 2.4. So let's flip over to Revelation 2.4 just for a sec. And I'll, I'll show you where he comes, the direction that he comes at for some of these. Uh, because there are, there are many things in the New Testament, and we looked at this when we did the Solomon on social media, where we are commanded to do a certain thing. It's a proactive command, go and do this thing. And there are many categories where we are commanded to not do something. Kind of a similar vein here, when uh, John's writing to these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he commends them for some things, and he condemns them for some things. And in that condemnation, if we were to then do the opposite of those things, it feels like something that we are supposed to be doing as churches. Does that make sense? So if, if I get on to Jay for bringing the Koran, and you did not bring the Koran in this morning, for bringing the Koran in this morning and standing up and trying to refute the truth of the Scripture, the Bible, I'd have the you would have the wrong book, right? I agree. And... Everybody in here could understand from me saying, Jay, the Koran is not the answer for truth in our lives. Well, there's something to be learned there, that there's another book that is the answer for the truth in our lives, right? So we're, we're going to look at, what's uh, Revelation 2, 4 say? Anybody got it? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Right, so if, if there's something wrong with leaving your first love, it feels like we ought not to leave our first love. Very straightforward process. So even in Revelation 2 and 3, these commands and these condemnations, look at the condemnations, flip it around, and those are things that we're actually called to be and to do as church. So lots of interesting things there. So your next blanks here, uh, churches can be more pure in some areas and less pure in others. And, uh, and Grudem just like... He does not avoid what we like to do. So I'll read you a quote here. Most churches will tend to think that the areas in which they are strong are the most important areas. I'll read that again. Most churches will tend to think that the areas in which they are strong are the most important areas, and the areas where they are weak are less important. Does that make sense? Because yeah, what I'm good at is most important, because that lets me be the center of the universe, because I like to be the center of the universe. You know? Julie and I are coming up on 16 years of marriage here in a little bit, and um, she can tell you I like to be the center of the universe. Right? I mean, that's... Because, I mean, sometimes it fits. Sometimes it fits. No, it doesn't fit at all. It's awful when I try to be the center of the universe. Everything gets out of the way. Uh, Magudum goes on, but the, no. Oh, that's okay, Miss Darla. We love you. You've got a few more years to work on that. Oh, okay. You will become the center. I will become the center? 30 years. In 30 years I will be? Nice. What about you? You're the center now. See that? See how? So you'll have like 46 years of being the center, and then I, then you can pass the baton to me. That'll work. All right. So let's look at a couple of verses here that are kind of all inclusive around what uh, ideals we should be looking for as far as the church. So Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27. Ephesians 5, 26, and 27. He's got it. 
So you guys know that, that letters were written to the churches early on, right? It's a big chunk of the New Testament. So how many of those churches were perfect that got letters? They got a letter and they, they were like, everything's perfect, everything's good to go. None, right? Now there were some that got a lot fewer condemnations than others, but there were no perfect churches. And there's no perfect churches today either. So Ephesians 5, 25, 26, 27, you got it? All right. Ms. Michelle? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Awesome. So there is an end goal that Jesus Christ is working towards relative to moving us as the church to a place. We are going to be presented one day. It says we're not just wandering around and floundering out of randomness. There's a goal that's going to happen. We're going to be presented. And that's what these things are helping us towards. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Justin, you got it? Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Yeah, so, so why do we want to get better? Why do we want to... Does anybody have a different translation than seek to excel? Anything there? Excel in building up the church, yeah. Anything else? Edification, yeah. It's this idea that we're building up. That the reason that we are building up is what, Justin? Sorry, as I interrupted your coffee. Read your verse again for me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Yeah, so it's, it's not about an individual. It's about the building up of the body. So whenever we feel like, oh, this is, this is for me, this is about me. No, 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 no. It's not about me. It's about us. Us working for him so that when we are presented to him, we're an acceptable bride. Right? Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding where when the bride showed up, it was like something wasn't okay. I have not been to one of these. I've seen these on YouTube. They're absolutely hilarious. Like something's just not, like, like something's not, like, you need, you need to, you know, the preacher's sitting there just going, fix that. Something's not right. I don't want to show up when we are presented before Christ as his bride and something not be right. He's going to make sure that everything is right. This is a really, really good thing. But there's a goal here that we're working towards. Uh, all right, so moving on. So point D, New Testament teaching on the unity of the church. Now, this is, this is not easy. So if there is one lesson in this whole section, this whole doctrine of the, uh, of the church that is really, really difficult, it is this stuff. It is unity. So let's look at John 17, 21 through 23. So somebody give me the setting of John 17. Setting of John 17 is what some of you would like to be doing right now. Some of you would like to be sleeping with the apostles that were sleeping at this time. Yes. As Jesus was doing what? He's praying. This is a high priestly prayer. right? He's, he's interceding for us, literally, for, for the believers that are going to come after the generation that was on the earth then. This is Jesus praying for you as directly applicable as possible can get. So John 17, 21, and 23. He's got it. I'm coming over here just in case someone knows where John is. I don't know. You know where John is? Yeah, I'm there. You got it? Great. Yep. 
21 through 23? Yes, sir. That they all might be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Absolutely. So if Jesus had a favorite number in this passage, what would his... What would his favorite number be in that passage? That was an awesome sound effect, by the way. As a, as a speaker, you learn to you acknowledge things. And sometimes what you can do is you can walk to like the other side of the room and start a conversation with somebody and, and redirect if it gets really ugly, but sometimes it doesn't. So if Jesus had a favorite number in that text, what's his favorite number? One. one. Yeah. It's one. He prayed for unity. He didn't pray that we'd be all disjointed and divided. He prayed for unity. So 1 Corinthians 1.10 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'll plead with you, brethren. Yes, there we go. Thank by you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there is no divisions yeah. among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Yeah. So who's writing here? Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth. Yep. And this is in one city. This is the people, that the believers that are in one city. And he asked them, these believers in one city, that... There be how many divisions? Like six. Six or seven. Six or seven is okay. Three is better, right? No. No. What's the what's the standard? No divisions. No divisions. So if you have no divisions, put your mathematical brains on. How many groups do you have with no divisions? You have one. Yes. You have one. This is not the error message that you get on your calculator when you divide by zero. This is not dividing by zero. This is no divisions. Right? So Philippians two two. Philippians 2 2. Dave, got it. All right. Fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Being of one accord, yes. And this is not the car. This is, we are, we are headed in the same direction. It's about, it is about direction. Uh, Ephesians 4 3, and then 12 through one direction. Oh, wow, that was awful. Uh, oh, man, now it's in my head. Ah. Uh, Sometimes I wish I had a Brillo pad. You can just like scrub a thought out and just be done with it, but it won't. It'll be there. Don't make wonder. It's a good thing I don't know any of the band members. Otherwise, I'd make jokes about them. But I know nothing about pop culture. So. Uh, Ephesians 4, 3, 12, and 13. You got it? Yes, excellent. Good. I was like, it feels like you're in about the right spot of that tiny, tiny little book. Yes. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yes. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How many bodies? One. Well, yes, the body. Okay, great. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the of Christ. That feels familiar. Like, I've heard that already this morning somewhere. Have I heard that somewhere this morning before? Oh, it was our Sunday school memory verse. Yes, it was. Right. So here's your next blank. Paul can command, that was a cool echo, Paul can command the church to live in unity because there is already an actual spiritual unity in Christ which exists among genuine believers. 
right? So he can tell us to do something because it's already true. <laughs> He's just telling us to live it out. Flesh this thing out that is already actually true in reality, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I have this habit of... Oh, good, I put the warnings in your hand out. Good. I thought I had clumped all these verses together. But those, that Romans 16 all the way to Jude 19 are the warnings against those who cause division. So if you, wanna, if you want something to pray to not be, like, God, don't let me be this. Give me strength to not be this. It's that collection of verses. I think sometimes in our prayers we pray, I want to be this, I want to be this, I want to be this. But the Scripture also gives us a lot of things to, to pray to not be. Do not be one of these types of people. And it's a, it's, a, it's a scary list of stuff that these folks are doing in this space. So just a heads up. All right, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. I want you to go to Galatians 2.7. I'm going to give you this uh, blank as we kind of get there. Uh, there are no direct New Testament commands to separate from Christians with whom one has doctrinal differences unless those differences involve such serious heresy that the Christian faith itself is denied. So when you look at the New Testament, we see letters to churches in the New Testament that look like this. Right? Somebody tell me the name of a church that looks like this in the New Testament. I heard it. Corinth. Corinth. Yeah. Corinth looked awful. If you go through and you listed out the sin, you know, not, not even the sins that you go, I feel like that's probably going on because he said these three things. Just, just list the stuff that he explicitly calls out. You will go, that's not even legal in some places. I mean, it, it's just like, like our culture today says that activity is not even legal. You're going, what? Like, what's that guy? All your faces are going like, what, what is that? Yeah, it's exactly right. It look, Corinth looks like this. And find me a verse in 1st or 2nd Corinthians where Paul says, get out of that. He doesn't. He says, get to work. He says, you have a lot of work to do. There are no New Testament commands to leave this. And you go, well, that stinks. It literally does. When Justin went and got the dirt last week and I poured it in the cup, I was like... Like, dirt stinks. It is not a pleasant, oh, that's a wonderful smell of dirt. Dirt doesn't smell good. There's rotting, decaying stuff in dirt. That's actually what makes it valuable is dirt. This is not, this is not a pleasant experience, but we are not given an out to say, oh, well, this is uncomfortable, so I should leave. No, 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 no. So I wrote something down here. So stop looking for the perfect church and instead work toward the unity and purity of your church. We are never commanded, primarily because of several different things, but we are never commanded to leave one congregation for another. Pursue unity and pursue purity. You will grow as a result. It is not comfortable. It is not pleasant. It is not fun and warm and fuzzy, but this is where growth occurs. I look back over my life, I look at hard, difficult things that I have done, and there is growth as a result. When I look at really easy, simple, yay, everything's cool and easy, there's very little growth that occurs there. We grow when circumstances are difficult. Now, I will tell you this, and I kind of reference this a little bit, but here's your next blank. Unity does not actually require one worldwide church government over all Christians. It doesn't, which is really good. So sometimes people are like, well, the only way we can be unified is we have this one church. And even if it's, even if it's ugly, if it's dirty, we, we all have to be connected and we all have to. 
Not exactly. And that's really what Galatians 2.7 talks about. So look at Galatians 2.7. You should have it open by now. And, and here's where we're, we're coming at from this logic. So what's Galatians 2.7 say? On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted... And who's writing Galatians? Sorry. Paul. Paul's writing Galatians, right? On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul's got... Like, we're going to divide up the world. This is really kind of cool. <laughs> like, they're literally going to divide up the responsibility for taking the gospel to the entire world. And Paul says... I call Gentiles. And, and Peter had been called to the Jews. And Peter said, I, I got Jews. All right, cool. Now just, <laughs> I get tore up when I think about this. But think about, yeah, I got, I got the Gentiles. Pick me. I want them. And Peter's like, I, I got the Jews. I got them. How awesome is that, right? That there was a desire to go and take ownership of like, half the world which is amazing. Now, think about this. Did they have the same mission? Depends on how you define mission, right? Did they have the same objective, to see people saved? Yes. Did they have the same target audience? No, not at all. Absolutely. This cup was for this particular group. This cup was for this particular group. But the stuff in the cup was the same. Does that make sense? You with me on this? So we can cooperate or join with all kinds of churches as long as the stuff in the cup is not poison. The stuff in the cup is poison? Uh, let's, let's be real careful about that. Let's be real careful about that. So Galatians 2.7. Um, Every time I do a series, there's generally, sometimes there's like 20, but most of the time there's one overriding thought that I just cannot get past. And for me, for all of the stuff, we're in chapter 45 right now, I think, of Grudem Systematic Theology, and the one thought that I still have not been able to get past in all of the stuff that we've studied for Grudem is the unity and simultaneous diversity inside the members of the Trinity. I have not been able to get past that. Ever since I taught that lesson, that has been on my brain. And every time that we come to something that talks about a group of believers, I think about how there can be unity in message and diversity in audience. And that's the application. So when we want to see what does unity inside the global body of Christ look like, the Trinity is the answer. That there is diversity of personhood, but unity of essence. How does that work? I don't know. It's pretty awesome, though, that God himself is the example of how we are to function as the body of Christ. So deep stuff there. Uh, point E on your handout. You see point E on your handout? Nope, you don't see point E on your handout. Grudem titled uh, point E on your handout, A Brief History of Organizational Separation in the Church. Next page. All right. Um, if, if, if you are interested in seeing my two-paragraph summary of that, which I, I, I am not a church expert, church history expert. I've bought books on it. They are sitting on my shelf. They are probably like 27 books in on my reading list. I may never get to them. I don't know. Jesus held all this mess together, and he will continue to hold it together, and the gates of hell will not prevail over this sludge. And I think that's awesome. 
And we are stupid and idiotic on a regular basis and divide and are impure way more often than we should. And that, to me, is a good summary of all church history. So, uh, Greedham talks about reasons for separation. Now, I hope you'd understand that there are right and wrong reasons for separation, right? So, first and foremost, number one, doctrinal reasons. So, what, what about churches teaching... We're having fun this morning. That's awesome. So I had a couple reach out to me a couple weeks ago, and they said, uh, Jim, you know, we, we just had a baby, and we want to wait a few months before we come to Sunday school. I'm like, I, I promise you it's not going to bother me. I love getting to teach a child's very first Sunday school lesson. That, to me, is one of the coolest things ever. They, won't, they all sleep through it. Which I'm fine with that. But even if they don't, okay, guess what? You are demonstrating to a group of people that you care enough about your kid to include them in the worship and education of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's awesome. And when the baby cries, I hear, my parents chose life. My parents chose life. It's just, it is, it's awesome. I love it. So if a baby screaming is not going to bother me, I don't care about your phones. It don't matter to me at all. All right? You're wondering where I was going with that, right? That's where I was going with that. So, what about churches teaching a false, a false gospel? What, what should we do? What should we do if our church began teaching a false gospel? And we went and we talked to Gary and Daryl and Brian and whomever else, and they said, "Nope, we're gonna we're gonna I'll just we'll just go this way. I'll, I'll use it again. We're gonna teach out of the Quran." And there's uh, I forget the the phrase. There's one God and His name's Allah, right? That's the phrase out of the Quran, and that's what that's gonna be our mantra, and we're gonna say it 20 times every Sunday morning. And uh, so we're going to teach in the cubbies and sparks and all the way up, and that's what we're about. No, I, I'm I'm gonna fight and fight and fight and fight because you have you have you have messed with something in the fist, right? This is a problem. This is a problem. And if we go through the biblical steps of confrontation. And there's no resolution. My house is a mile from here, and my garage is small, but we'll put some chairs up. And we'll do something different. <laughs> yes, Albert? So, I know, my house is not big enough for all of us. Yes, that's the... <laughs> the, the, the I mean, that's, a, that's pretty extreme. It is, yes. So what about where it gets a little that's where we're, That's where we're going next, yes, right? I was thinking of Osteen and TDJ and then all those Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I got another one of those really funny text messages. That was good. So, what about church? So, I'm going to get there. I'm going to answer that question in just a sec. So, thank you for asking that. Because uh, Grudem does not avoid that. Uh, that's an easy answer, right? I mean, somebody's going to stand up and say, "Muhammad's the way." Muhammad's not the way. Jesus is the way. Let's make in case anybody misunderstood my podcast. There is not. Well, there is one God. His name is not Allah. His name is uh, Yahweh, and he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So please don't misunderstand my uh, message here this morning. Great. So what about churches with false, I love this phrase, non-salvific doctrines? So this means there's something, there's something dirty about non-salvation stuff, right? So prosperity theology. We're talking about... Um, uh, the, the different belief of the ordinances, right? We're talking about uh, 
charismatic expression of, the, of uh, gifts. We're talking about all kinds of things that are not having to do with salvation. You ready for your blank? Epistles. E-P-I-S-T-L-E-S. I will refer you to the examples of the New Testament authors and the letters that they wrote to churches that look like this. Now, the question comes in is, and the question I have in my notes is, why wait until a false church status is reached? Because sometimes you can see this is where a church is, and they have a direct beeline toward this. And this is impending, and this is about to happen, and we have seen this with American churches. Absolutely. That started off looking really, uh, that's too far, looking really good. Sorry, get my reference point right here. And then dirty, 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 and then there's a really rapid decline. And when you reject Scripture, the clear authority of Scripture, this is always the ultimate result. Because bad doctrine doesn't get better on its own. It only gets better when you address it with Scripture. So the question is, um, epistles is my answer. That's not Grudem's answer. That's Jim's answer. Um, Grudem has two more categories, so doctrinal reasons. And this is kind of the, like, go to the Scripture. Uh, the second category is matters of conscience. And this is not what it sounds like. Because I saw this heading and I was like, matters of conscience? I don't care how you feel. That, that is irrelevant. Don't come to me with, I have peace about this. Don't come to me with, oh, this makes me feel good. I don't care, right? What does the scripture say? This is very good to know. Uh, when he says matters of conscience, he's talking about churches with multiple levels of hierarchy. So you have a local pastor, and then you have some type of a regional ecclesiastical governing body, and then there's some level above that. And what he's talking about is the group at the top or near the top has decided to take God's word and set it aside. And the people underneath them have taken some type of an oath or a vow or a promise to submit to that authority. So what do you do if you're at the bottom rung of that chain when the leadership, like the two or three levels up of your leadership, has decided to do something like say, oh, we don't think the Bible is true. And we're going to allow this and this and this and this in our churches. And that's where he's saying this is a matter of conscience. Do you want to stay and, and fight and argue for truth and righteousness and try to move things this way? Or do you see this is where they are going and do you need to use discernment and do something different? And he takes a very open hand on the response here. A very open hand. And then he has practical considerations, which if there's ever been a section of his book that I just wanted to rip out, it was this. Because there was absolutely no biblical evidence for this section whatsoever. It was all opinion and really not very good opinion. So if you happen to read chapter 45, just take a black magic marker and just X out that part. It was awful. Um, it was very ungrudem-like. Uh, all right, so did I answer your question, Albert? It was a very fuzzy answer, wasn't it? Yeah, and, that's, and that was my goal, is to give a very fuzzy answer. Because two things. One, the way, in which we do, um, the way in which we do modern church membership is not reflected in the New Testament anywhere. So let's just make sure we're clear on that. Right? There's nowhere in the New Testament where it says, you walk an aisle and fill out a card and you say, I will come and I will be a, a formal part of this church. You, you, you were saved and you were baptized and it was just assumed that you would get together with local believers and that's the way things happened, right? And if you moved to another city, then you went and you gathered yourself with those believers at the other city. 
the, the modern view of I will enter into a formal church membership agreement with other believers is not found in Scripture anywhere. Whenever you see the body in Scripture, it is always talking about the global church body, not a body of local believers. There's no such thing as a body of local believers. We have congregations of local believers. Uh, still to this day, it's my worst error I've ever made in the uh, Constitution and Bylaws was this local body. It's the first sentence in the Constitution and Bylaws when we revised it. And I led the team that revised it. I was like, that's awesome. Nothing like putting your bad theology directly in a document that uh, actually dictates the governance, the legal governance structure of our church. Woohoo, go Jim. It's awful. Can't wait till we revise it and I gotta get that out of there. That's the good thing about that document is you can just change it if you need to. Uh, so that, that modern structure creates all kinds of angst, and I really think that's why the answer to that question is so difficult, because we have created a structure that is not reflective of actually what exists in Scripture. And when you create structures that don't exist in Scripture, and then you ask Scripture to speak into those structures, and Scripture doesn't talk about it, it shouldn't talk about it, because that wasn't the original design. So it, Now... Don't get me wrong. I am not standing up here saying that we should do away with all church membership, that we should renounce any type of uh, organized religion. No, 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 no. There are all kinds of practical, helpful ways that, this, that having a list of people that we have decided we're going to do this this way is very, very helpful. And it creates an awful lot of really awkward questions when somebody says, well, I think you're here and I need to leave. Okay. That's, that becomes very challenging at that point. So, did that leave you with enough angst? Some Sunday school lessons, I want to be a perfect bow, and everything is tied up neat, and there's 90-degree corners, and bam, that's it. This is not one of those. And I, I thought about warning you at the beginning that I was going to leave you frustrated today, but you looked so tired at the beginning, I thought that if I told you you'd be frustrated at the end, you would just take a nap, so I didn't. So, so there's that. So... Uh, thank you for coming to Sunday School today. I want us to wrestle with things. I want us to, to have some angst over, well, how do we live this out? Good. Go figure it out. Give me a whole bunch of Bible verses. Let's go wrestle. Wrestling is good. We get stronger when we wrestle. We don't get stronger when we just go, ah, never mind. Struggle for purity. Struggle for unity. These are good things. So at the center of your table is a weekly update, so make sure you read over those prayer requests. Pray as a group. If you've got any new ones to add, please add those. If you see any of the old ones that need to be revised, please revise those. Make sure your name's at the bottom of that list. All right, anybody's name that was at your table at any point, at any point, even if they're here for like 20 seconds, we're going to count them because uh, that's what Baptists do. So, all right. Thank you all for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Yes. Sorry, did I skip a blank? Uh, uh, separate, I'm sorry. Uh, false gospel is separate, yes. False gospel is separate. We, we ain't, got to, ain't nobody got time for that. 